Sorry, I was reading. I thought I still had one more to make me feel my love. I, th I thought I had time. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? I, oh, I like that. Thank you, Ryan. Um, you should all be doing awesome because as you walked in, you might have noticed an empty green Christmas tree. Just to remind you, we've been doing a Christmas hamper. We're going to sponsor almost 20 families. And these are families who wouldn't really have Christmas. They're people with permanent disabilities. We're a big part of their Christmases. And the tree's empty. We cleared it off, guys. Congratulations. I, uh, I don't think I can remember a time where we've done that this early, so that's awesome. Now, there are still people in the back because we are looking for four people to do some shopping with other money, other people's money. That should be really an easy job. So we do have some cards that we just need someone to go pick up some of this stuff with. So if you have some interest in, interest in going shopping this week and just bring that stuff back for next week, because next week we're going to be wrapping here, please go see them at the back. We only need about four people to go do that, but that is awesome. Like really, really awesome. And that's a good reminder, for next week we'll be wrapping the presents. Who remembers what that's like? Remember when we all got to, yeah, I see some smiles. It's super fun to wrap other people's presents. And um, I don't usually cut very well in my corners or a little bit, but then I make it really pretty messy, you know, like throwing an extra ribbon or something. So if you're a meticulous wrapper or a terrible wrapper, you're welcome. You're welcome to come next week. We'll do it right after the service, which is going to be awesome. It is going to be terrifically awesome. The other thing uh, for next week, if you do remember, and there'll, there'll be a piece on the site as well, our Friends Church and on the app, um, the Satina Nation is actually collecting for their food bank, which is at record lows. So we'll bring some non-perishable food items for next week's wrapping, and we'll just put that in. So that will be terrific in terms of things to do. Oh, I would be remiss if I didn't say, please give money. <laughs> That's one of my primary jobs. I was looking this up and I was talking to someone about this and they said, do people give out of a sense of obligation? And initially I felt, ooh, that feels kind of ucky. But then I looked at obligation and obligation can also be something that you're returning out of a sense of gratitude. So just depending on which definition you want to use for obligation, it can give you sort of a different feeling. We're doing really well this year and I know we've talked about that and I hope that's making you feel really good about friends. Like we're all supporting this, which is awesome brings me to, I think, my most important reason to be here, the staff offering. <clears throat> I'm really connected to the staff, and I think we all are. Like, Jeff and Vince do an awesome job. Ryan from Switch, Ashley downstairs with kids, and Yvette, who does our bookkeeping, like, they keep this place running. So once a year, over this period of time, for the next few weeks, we're going to just gently remind you if there's some extra dollars that are sitting around, and you can just click donate and there's a staff offering piece that goes directly to them and that is just a really maybe a way to make them feel our love just appreciate it so if you have some extra dollars this year and you want to give it to a really good cause believe it or not they're a really good cause they really are and they really support I feel that they support me and my family and I believe you're here because you feel that they support you as well so it's a good way to give back thanks guys Vince Thanks, Trevor. Always a bit awkward to walk up after that announcement. <laughs> Pretend we didn't talk about that just now. <laughs> um, I want to start today with a Bible story. We don't often do this, but I don't know. To me, it just feels like it's the right place today because 
any story that's lasted for about 3,000 years, there's probably something solid there. And as I look through this story, I realize, no, no, this isn't a Bible story. This is my story with different characters. And if you grew up in the church at all, it's the story of David and Bathsheba. But I don't want to tell it the normally way it's told, which is from David's point of view. I want to talk about it from Bathsheba's point of view. Because the story ends brutal. Brutal. But it starts in this really crazy place. You see, we, we have some hints about Bathsheba's life. We know that her husband was a workaholic. He was away at work a lot. And during the time of this story, he's gone. And so she's alone. Seems like she's been alone a lot lately. And so she's sitting on top of her rooftop, which wasn't completely ridiculous, but maybe a bit flashy. And then she has a moment where someone comes to her and says, hey, there's somebody who would like to meet you. He's rich, he's powerful, he's handsome, and unlike your husband, he's here, right now. On the one hand, she's married and she's like, well, no, I have a husband, my marriage is important to me, but I'm also lonely. How often do we have these moments in our lives where there's two things we want at the same time? Jeff talked about it last week. Our amygdala wants the right now, whatever I want right now, that part. Our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that takes a tremendous amount of energy to run, but it's the thing that actually gets us to do long-term things. It's where we find the meaningful life. The amygdala is not going to get you the meaningful life. The amygdala is going to do whatever the hell it wants, whenever the hell it wants, and it doesn't really care about your future. Future Vince can take care of that problem. Present-day Vince wants whatever it wants. My prefrontal cortex is the part that says, well, hold, time out, time out, time out. I actually want to be healthy, and I want to be able to run, so eating an entire chocolate cake is probably not the right answer here, which... Um, last night we ordered pizza. What drink is almost legally obligated to drink with pizza? Coke. Thank you all. So you understand, I had half a Coke. Guess who was up at four this morning going, why did I drink that stupid Coke? I know better than this. So we have these moments. Uh, Kelly McGonigal, The Willpower Instinct, the book we're, we're using is the kind of the groundwork of this series, is reinforcing in a very scientific way what our spiritual ancestors knew 3,000 years ago. The immediate desires, when they, you ignore the long-term desires, has a cost. She says, when you have a moment in your life where there's two things that your brain wants, it wants the long-term and it wants the immediate. I want to sleep, and I want to coke at 7 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> she calls that a willpower challenge. Bathsheba, she wants her marriage. That's the prefrontal cortex. But she's lonely. Her husband's gone. And some company would feel really good right now. 
When you heard Jeff last week, he asked you, what's your long-term? What's your prefrontal cortex stuff? What's your goals? Especially through Christmas, because this is the time when all hell breaks loose. What is the thing that you want? Do you want healthier relationships? Do you want to come through Christmas not feeling like a used-up bag of crap who's exhausted? Do you want to look at your visa statement in January and be like, I can pay that. Do you want to come through Christmas with a certain body type? With a certain kind of awareness of your soul of I was who I want to be in the, with the people that I love. I didn't cave. I didn't become that person I always become. What is it that you want this Christmas? That's the prefrontal cortex stuff. I have an object lesson today. I don't get to do object lessons very often. This is your prefrontal cortex. A carrot. Healthy, right? You're supposed to eat it. That's what my doctor tells me. It's the healthy option. Ryan, who's our, our switch pastor, also a red seal chef. And no disrespect, but a little judgy on some of our food choices. Because he eats very healthy, and his food is always incredibly delicious. In fact, last time I talked to him, he told me what he ate for lunch. And I went home, and I microwaved some leftover pizza. And as I pulled it out of the microwave, I thought, Ryan doesn't live this way, does he? Ryan would eat the carrot. The other option is cookies. Does your prefrontal cortex want the cookies? Oh, no. (laughs) Your amygdala wants the cookies. Right now, in fact, it's telling you that you need the cookies. I have to have the cookies. The cookies are the right answer. And just to make it even harder, especially for those of you who didn't eat breakfast, I'm going to bake the cookies while we eat. You're supposed to pay attention to me, not the smell of the cookies. I'm going to try and put this in here without destroying something. Okay, there we go. Bathsheba, (laughs) this is her marriage. Long term, yeah, I know he's gone. Yeah, I know it's been tough. Yeah, I know I'm frustrated. Yeah, I know I'm lonely. But that's her long term goal. Cookies, that's King David. He's there. He's powerful. And I don't feel so alone. If you know the story, you know what she picks. She says no to her marriage and yes to the cookies. And this is where things go bad. And this is why I think the story is so important. Because I was trying to find, um, ask myself, and pardon my French, but we have a saying. Whenever we do a message, we call it who gas. Who gives a shit? If you can't give a shit about this message, why are you talking about it? And I realized Bathsheba's story is my story, and chances are it's your all story. Because there's a moment where you choose between what you want. There's a four-year-old in the back there, isn't she? And I just dropped that. Sorry, kid. That's Autumn. My bad. <laughs> I was just babysitting her a few minutes ago. I'm a good role model. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so Bathsheba picks the immediate. She picks the cookies. She picks the what I want right now. And the story just goes like horribly as these stories go, right? This is meant to be a cautionary tale, I think. Next thing, her lover kills her husband. She gets pregnant. It's not her husband's child. 
They're trying to hide it. It's going from bad to worse. When the baby's finally born, it's born sickly. The Bible's not super specific on the medical terminology. But it's born alive, and then she has to watch her firstborn child die. And if I was her, I would be thinking back to that moment on the rooftop where the invitation came. And I had the long-term thing, my marriage that I wanted, but I had that short-term, but I'm lonely. And I chose that. And this is where I am now. Why should we care about this message? Because too often in these moments of willpower challenge, we choose the wrong thing. I have done it so many times. I was going back to this message going, oh, for me, it's always my anger. Just the other day, we were going to, me and my wife, she brought something up. And I was not in a great space. So I was like, we're not talking about that right now. How do you think that went? Took us two or three days to solve that problem to, for me to repair with her that I just shut this whole thing down and I realized, oh, that's the willpower challenge right there. And I took the cookies. My relationship suffered. What happens when we choose the immediate and we forget the long term? We pay for it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sick of coming home after something and being like, okay, babe, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that was off. My bad. I'm sick of looking at things in my life and going, oh, why did I do that? And so the question I want to know is, how exactly do we avoid these painful moments? How do we avoid the moment of Bathsheba sitting there looking at her firstborn child dying and going, this is because I made that decision there. If it's a willpower challenge, my question coming in was, how do I make sure I pick the right thing? Anyone else feeling my pain? Especially through Christmas. How do I consistently choose the right thing when there's cookies? How do we do this? Up until, until I started reading this book, I thought, well, all I need is more willpower, right? Has anyone had this thought in their life? Okay, yeah, I made the wrong decision, but next time, <laughs> next time, I'm going to make the right decision because I have more willpower magically. Isn't it Einstein who said, doing the same thing over and again and thinking it's going to happen differently? I think he had a nicer way of saying it, but you're, you're an idiot. That's my. When I come back after I do it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. It's the definition of insanity. How is it that we make sure that we don't do the Bathsheba moment? We don't pick the cookies, especially when there's a cost to that. And that's what um, McGonagall, when she wrote it, I realized something profound. I think we've been thinking about willpower a little bit wrong. This is what blew my mind. I'm never a fan of just coming up here and trying to motivate you guys. Like, hey, you can do it. You haven't done it 100 times, but 101, it's going to go well. Yay, you. For me, it's always a motivation with a shift in thinking. So this is the shift. They took a bunch of people, um, alcoholics, who checked themselves into rehab. So a couple of things we know. They, are, they have a problem with drinking. Drinking is caught into the place where it's not something they want in their life, but they're addicts, so there's a drive to drink. 
but they want sobriety and they've tried to make steps to get sober. So they're in treatment, but alcohol is still a problem. This is probably early in the process for them. Prefrontal cortex, I want a life of sobriety. I want a life of freedom from the effects of alcohol in my life, of drinking heavily. The amygdala, oh, but a drink would be good right now, wouldn't it? And so to help them, this is what the researchers did. And this is the part, I'm going to take you one way and they're going to show you a different way. Here's what they did. They got them to sit down and learn to meditate. You know how the last little while I've got you guys to breathe deep into your belly? They taught them to do that. And guess what happened to their drinking? Nothing changed. But something else started to change. After a couple of weeks, the people who were in the test group who'd learned to meditate and calm their bodies and relax started sleeping more. That's pretty cool, huh? They went from averaging seven hours a night to eight hours a night. And then guess what happened? They started to drink less. The rate of sobriety climbed. I remember reading this going, what? See, the willpower challenge for them is, I want to drink for whatever reason, the myriad of reasons, but I don't want to drink because I want to live a sober life. And so I'm in treatment. And then I sleep more and suddenly... I can say no to drinking and yes to sobriety better. Did they somehow get more willpower? Did the magic willpower fairies drop a little more willpower on their heads? And this is the part I think we've not understood, or at least I didn't. You all might be smarter than I am. Fair point. What I realized is They had the willpower all along. The sleep resourced the willpower. Let me say it again. uh, Let's do it this way. Imagine Vince's willpower for Coke, right? I want a Coke, but I don't want a Coke because I want to sleep. When my willpower, think of it like willpower. I can run an ultra marathon. I got willpower. Can't say no to a Coke. So what's going on there? What's going on is my willpower is in the back of my brain having a nap because it's tired. Instead of being in the moment of saying, Vince, if you drink this Coke this evening, you're going to be up tonight. Your willpower needs resourcing to work. Chances are, the reason you have not been able to say yes to the things you want long-term and no to the things you want short-term is because your willpower hasn't had enough sleep. It's tired. It's sluggish. You're like, hey, I need you right now. And it's like, oh, hold on a second. I'm just rolling out of bed. Give me a second. By the time he gets to you, by the time it's there, you're like, oh, I'm drinking the Coke already, whatever. Screw this. Let me ask yourself, how rested is your willpower right now? That one rung my bell especially as we get to Christmas because I'm living my regular life. You know, I have my work, I have my relationships, I have my exercise routine, I have the the hobbies that I do, and then it's going to start packing on Christmas parties on top of that. What will I change? Nothing. Where will I get the extra time? From my sleep. What's going to happen to my willpower? It's going to be taking a nap. 
How resourced is your willpower right now? Could it be that instead of saying, I wasn't able to do this because I lack willpower, it's, I wasn't able to do this because my willpower, which is strong and good, is exhausted. And I need to sleep more. What a shift in thinking. Then it started getting me thinking, well, hell, what else is going to impact my willpower? <laughs> I was, so I'm writing this message on the plane, right? It's like a morning flight. I had my breakfast, whatever, cup of tea, I think a piece of toast. And I hadn't really paid attention to how long the flight was, so I had some banana loaf with me. By the time I got off the plane, it was now 2 o'clock. I'd eaten my banana loaf. I hadn't eaten since 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you. I'm a little peckish. Have a problem getting to my rental car. The shuttle doesn't work. It's some weird shuttling system. I finally get there an hour later. The people don't have my car ready. It's not working out. So finally, I bail on that. I get the shuttle back to the airport. Then I wait for the shuttle to get to the the town that I'm going to. It's now like 6 o'clock. I've eaten a piece of banana loaf. We finally get to the shuttle. I meet up with my buddy. We go down and get some food. I've been trying really hard to not eat sugary drinks. That's one of my I wants. I want to live a healthier life. I don't want my blood sugar to spike, so I won't drink sugary drinks. What's the first thing I ordered? I'll have a Sprite. Now, to my credit, I didn't order a Coke, which I thought was pretty skillful. <laughs> That's a win for Vince's column. But I drank a big old Sprite. When your blood sugar drops, what happens to your willpower? I remember they used to say, don't go to uh, grocery shopping if you're hungry. I was always like, that's the dumbest thing ever. I buy the best foods when I'm hungry. It's awesome. Now I'm realizing this is not what my body wants when I'm hungry. Oh, these cookies are smelling deadly. I want cookies. I want Coke. I want sugary foods. That's what's going to make me feel good. I want caffeine. And what happens? I'm going to point out our resident chef. When we drink or have high sugary foods, we feel good for about how long? Half an hour. And then what happens? Whoa-bam! Then my, literally, this is my, this is my willpower. It's laying in the back of my brain like this. And I'm like, okay, buddy, we need to not order a Coke or a Sprite today. Okay, ready? Go. It's in a sugar coma in the back of my brain. The foods we eat resource our willpower. Study after study has shown this. If you eat foods that are not high sugar, so your, your energy goes up and then crashes, our bodies were never designed to eat this level of sugar. We're still trying to figure out, like, evolve to handle that much sugar in that concentrated amount. So your body's just freaking out, right? Throws a bunch of insulin in your system, then you crash, whatever. Our willpower is in a sugar coma. Think about you at the next Christmas party. Do they have, like, mixed vegetables out on the tray? No, they got, like, donuts and, like, cookies and, like, baked goods. I don't think there's such a thing as a Christmas baking that doesn't involve tremendous amounts of sugar and butter. And so your energy spikes. And then when you're looking for number two, and you want your willpower to say, one was good, I had what I needed, but I'm going to say no to number two, your willpower is in a sugar coma, 
when you need it front and center. Does this not start to make sense of a large part of the things that we do in our lives? It's not that we lack willpower. It's we haven't resourced our willpower. It's sitting in the corner. After not eating from like 8 in the morning to 8 at night, I am a mess. I am yelling at people. The, the shuttle driver who drives there forever wasn't driving fast enough for me. I was furious the whole time. My willpower that's supposed to be like the part that says, hey, Vince, calm down, buddy. You're going to get where you're going to go. No big deal. Oh, no. Again, remember? He's having a nap in the back of my brain, and I'm losing my mind. My brother, <laughs> when he, so he has a first kid, and then I have two nephews, uh, nephew and niece, twins. Um, so they had them, twins at the same time. I guess that's the definition of twins. That was excellent work, Clausen. <laughs> State the obvious there. <laughs> So, <laughs> twins, but the twins weren't on the same schedule. So one would wake up, and then you would feed that twin, and then it would go to sleep. You'd take a while to go to sleep, and then the next twin would wake up, and then it would feed, and then you put it to sleep, and they had about 20 minutes between the two. They lived this way for a year. My brother says he used to, he wouldn't make coffee. He'd fill his coffee mug with espresso. He'd have six shots of espresso in the morning just to be able to get up. He said he was a framer, so you know he builds the outside of houses. He's like, I remember one day waking up and I looked around and I was like, where am I? And I realized I'm standing on top of a two-story building on a single two-by-four and he's fallen asleep. He wakes up, he's like, die! They said for about two years, they almost killed each other. It makes sense, doesn't it? This is a guy who, like me, can run ultra marathons. We call it a suffer fest. We enjoy them. It's like, hey, that would be, like, that'd be really hard and painful to do. We should totally do that. And then we go do it. Willpower is not the issue. After having no sleep, he lived on caffeine. He didn't eat. He lost a ton of weight. They almost killed each other. Do you think these are the parents they wanted to be? Of course not. How resourced is your willpower. Final thing that impacts it, exercise. This is not going to the gym and lifting hard for three hours. This is not training for marathons or ultra marathons. This is not triathlon training. You want your willpower to kind of be ready. You know the Cobra Kai, you know like the stance where it's like, I'm ready? You want your willpower like that. It takes about five minutes of exercise to do it. If you're in a place where you're like, I need some willpower here and it, mine's not feeling really great, Walk around the block. Come back in. Your willpower will get off the couch, stop watching Netflix, put pause, get up and be like, okay, what are we doing? What's going on? What do I need? There's a story about Jesus. It's the earliest stories of Jesus. It's in a gospel, a series of stories we call Mark. The story goes like this. Can you throw it up for me, Nathaniel? The story goes like this. Actually, let me give you some background. I'm going to teach you all a big word. Demythologizing. Can you say it with me? Demythologizing. Kind of makes sense, right? 
Mythology is the, the myth of things. Demythologizing is taking out the myth. It's a way of reading stories that says, I'm going to take the supernatural and move it aside so I can see the human. It was written by a guy named Rudolf Boltman. We're going to demythologize this story. I've already done it when I translated it. It's a story about Jesus. He's had a long, long day, and it goes like this. After leaving the synagogue that day, so he's already been, he's had a good solid day. Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he helped her get well. Helped her get well is the demythologizing. Magic. Okay? Seems like a nice guy. Next part of the story. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick members to Jesus. Uh, no, duh. We got a guy who can actually help people get well. No matter what their disease were, he helped them all get well. The entire place brought the people to Jesus for help. That's an important line. The entire place. Everybody. Think about this. If you're going to help people, you help the first person, so that people go, oh, you can help. We should bring our friends. Suddenly, the entire village is waiting out the door for you. Five o'clock becomes six o'clock. Six o'clock becomes seven. Seven becomes eight. What are you feeling? I'd be tired. And again, when we demythologize, when we take the myth out of it, we can see Jesus and go like, holy crap. The entire place brought people to Jesus for help. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place to rest. Think about this through your Christmas lens. You're already busy. Life's busy. You're doing good things. Christmas adds to it. You're going to maybe help shop for, for people who need. You're going to maybe bring stuff for the, the food bank. Adding on. Maybe your own Christmas stuff. Maybe your own Christmas baking. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe there's some Christmas parties or some family gatherings. And suddenly it's like Jesus. It's like the whole of your life kind of sits on top of what you regularly do. And it's busy and you're exhausted. And what do we do? Well, I drink a Coke and then keep going. What does Jesus do? He gets up the next morning and he goes for a walk into nature by himself. The very thing we're talking about. He's walking, which recharges him, brings his willpower back on. He spends some time away from people, stop giving so he can, he can find the sense of himself again. He rests. There's this funny saying, have you ever seen WWJD, what would Jesus do? People used to have these bracelets. He'd take a nap, guys. <laughs> he wouldn't add more to the to-do list. He wouldn't add one more party to the list. He wouldn't do any of that crap. He'd take a nap. He'd go for a walk by himself. Y'all can fend for yourself. I'm going to be out in the park for a while. I'll be back in an hour. There's something really crazy when I, when I started to study this book. If you guys know, oh, that smells good. <laughs> Gospels, so stories about Jesus, were, there's four of them. The first one is Mark. I just showed you guys a story from Mark. The second ones were written about 40 years later. 
Chances are they used Mark. They had Mark sitting open when they were writing their stories. And here's the thing. They were choosing which stories they wanted to tell. And one of the guys, his name's Luke, chose part of that story. He said, Jesus healed the mother-in-law of Simon. And then he healed everyone else. But you know which part he didn't put into his stories? The rest. I don't know why he didn't. But I wonder if that's why the Christian tradition rarely talks about lack of willpower as a self-care thing. It says if your willpower slips, you sinned and you're in trouble. That's the way it was written to me. Instead of asking, hey, if your willpower is getting a little bit weak, what do you need to do to recharge it? How do you get it off the couch? Stop, pause Netflix and like, how do you give it something healthy, something food that's going to last the whole day? How do you get it ready? If you want to know how you're doing with your willpower, we now, so again, Jesus' time, we didn't have this. (laughs) We can now actually measure how active your willpower will be. If you're about to go into a situation where there's going to be a lot of temptation, a lot of stuff you want to avoid, a lot of stuff that your prefrontal cortex is like, hey, I don't want to make these choices, but I know that I feel pulled towards that. You can actually measure how good your chances of making good choices are. That's pretty cool. It's called heart rate variability. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I've talked about it before. I use an app called Welltory. You basically, it's on my phone. I turn it on. I put my finger on the back. It takes a minute. tells me some funny stories. And then it tells me how resourced my willpower is. Usually it's like, Vince, you need to take a nap. (laughs) What would Jesus do? (laughs) Get your butt out doing nothing. Now is not the time for temptation. Because your willpower is tired. It's taking a nap. It's hungry. It's watching Netflix. It's not ready. Sometimes I just take a half hour and I breathe. I check it again. Boom. I'm ready. If you want to know how you're going to do this Christmas, look at Welltory. Look at whatever. I think Apple has another version. Heart rate variability. Learn how to recharge yourself. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want that Bathsheba story to be my story. Because chances are, if I was on that rooftop, tired, hungry, lonely, I'd have made the same decision she did. And I'd be paying the consequences. I don't want that. And I don't want that for any of us. I don't think it's shame to say, hey, I have no willpower. I don't think that's even what's going on most of the time. I think what's going on is we haven't resourced the willpower we have. So why don't we try this? I get you to do this all the time, but I'm going to do it again. Take a deep breath.
Okay, I'm going to teach you to do it so that your willpower is more in charge. Breathe in your belly. Push your belly out like it's big and fat. Your willpower just perked up a little bit. When you're finished here, don't rush to your car. Relax. Chat with someone. Maybe go for a walk. There's a park right there. If you go past the park, there's a thing called Sandy Beach. It's not a beach, but they call it Sandy Beach. It's a river that the bank fell in. I don't know. You Albertans and your beaches, whatever. But it's lovely. Go for a walk. Instead of going right to your car, your car's right there. It's snowing. It's beautiful. Walk around the block twice. One of the things I've been doing is if I need to have a really hard conversation with my wife, it's because I love her, right? She matters more to me than anything. And when she says stuff, it hits me. She can poke my trauma like no one's business. She's not trying to, just because I care. Think about when you would have that conversation. Should you do it before lunch or after lunch? Because that conversation is going to need willpower. I'm going to have to be able to say, like, go that one. I want to snap at her now. Willpower's like, no, Vince. It's no big deal. You love her. She's awesome. Have a sandwich. Give the person you need to talk with a sandwich. Not a sugary sandwich. A sand- well, unless you can guarantee the conversation is only 30 minutes, and then it's going to go to hell. <laughs> What does it look like to resource your willpower this Christmas? Not to say, oh, I don't have enough willpower. I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to be Bathsheba. I have to look at the consequences. No. What would it look like to resource? I'm looking at a couple back there. They live in my neighborhood. They're walking all the time. I'm this crazy guy who honks at them, and they're like, who the heck is honking at us? I'm always like, you guys are awesome. You're walking. What would it look like? You're going to have busy days. It's Christmas. It's going to be busy. What would Jesus do? He'd just take a break the next day. Recharge himself. Rebuild what your willpower needs to be there when you need it. May we go forth today, not with shame, not with failure, but awareness that we have willpower. It just needs a good night's sleep, something healthy to eat, and a little bit of exercise. May we go forth and live the lives of meaning that we want to live. Amen? Who wants a cookie? (laughs) Have a great week, everybody.